Hello, and welcome to another light reading podcast. This is the Notebook Dump Edition, and congratulations on making it through week 13 of 2023. Don't check my math. Uh, uh, I'm Phil Harvey, and I'm joining my colleagues, my fellow editors. Uh, we've got Nicole Ferraro in New York. We've got Kelsey Zeiser in North Carolina. And checking in from Colorado, we have Jeff Baumgartner and Mike Dano. And I have with me... Uh, Hello, everybody. My, I have with me Rosie, the uh, badly behaved cat, because she won't stay off of my uh, uh, desk or my console, and now she's trying to get the microphone. So big t- big day for Rosie. She's uh, inter- interrupting the podcast at every available turn. Uh, I love it so much. <laughs> what a mess. We love good you, Rosie. Like, Having cats just a is not a good, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good practice for, for good podcasting. Um, yeah, and, and the reason she's not too far away is she has her own chair in in my uh, office here because she won't stay off my desk. So now she's uh, she's declared eminent domain, and now she's taking over the rest of the, the couch. <laughs> I don't know. Do the, we the do we have budget couch, for a cat desk, chair? Everything. I didn't know that was in the podcast <laughs> budget. Yeah, no, it's not in the podcast budget. I had to I had to steal from another oh, budget okay. uh, to get that. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, let me do a quick uh, content. Oh, that's what my salary was. <laughs> okay. uh, it's worth it. Cat, oops, totally. cat chairs. Yeah. Cat cat furniture. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, before we uh, get going here, uh, I want to have a quick content spotlight. Uh, it, it actually, it involves Nicole. It's uh, it, it's the U.S. Uh, broadband map story that we did, a uh, video story that's out on uh, Light Reading right now. So uh, in the story, we talk about uh, what the broadband map is, why it matters, um, how this thing could possibly know what your broadband scene is anyway. And uh, um, it's a, a special report uh, that we did uh, that uh, narrated by Nicole and based a lot on her reporting. And we'll have the link for it in the show notes. The uh, title of the thing is what you need to know about the national broadband map. So uh, please do check it out. And uh, while I hold my cat back from jumping up and hitting the microphone again, um, let's go around the horn and see uh, what else is happening out there. And uh, why not? Let's go ahead and start with Nicole. Sure. Happy to kick things off. Um, So earlier this week, I had a story about the Fifth Circuit Court ruling on the Universal Service Fund. So I figured that I would um, quickly explain that and also just tell you all why this isn't over and what the bigger picture is, because this is going to be an ongoing issue for a while. Um, So basically, a conservative group had brought a lawsuit against FCC calling the Universal Service Fund unconstitutional. Um, the USF just to level set collects revenues from telecommunications operators and then funds are used to pay for broadband build outs in rural and unserved areas and to fund the lifeline program, which offers a small subsidy to low income households for telecom services. So, okay, so the Fifth Circuit Court ruled in favor of the FCC, huge sigh of relief for the industry, but it's not over because there are two other courts that are set to hear slash rule on the case. Um, So as Blair Levin had said earlier this week in a New Street Research note, he expects um, they will follow the Fifth Circuit Court, but it's not guaranteed. And um, it's possible that if they don't, then this thing ends up in the Supreme Court and, uh, you know, TBD how that would go. So that's the legal side of this. Then there's a bigger picture, which is that um, the Universal Service Fund is sort of 
in the process of undergoing uh, undergoing reform. Um, many in the industry have been calling for reform for the program for a while and sounding the alarm that its funding model is unsustainable. Um, so uh, in 2021, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act uh, mandated that the FCC issue some kind of final ruling on reforming the USF in 2023, which scoop is this year. Um, and recently, lawmakers in D.C. Uh, introduced legislation to require the FCC to conduct a study into the feasibility of collecting USF contributions from big tech companies, which is a push coming from um, telco lobbyists like U.S. Telecom and NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association. Um, so, you know, the overall picture here is that the this is a crucial program and has a questionable future, both legally and financially. Um, I think in addition to the big tech uh, contribution debate, um, it'll be interesting to see if the FCC recommends combining the affordable connectivity program with USF somehow, since both deal with low-income subsidies and the ACP is also at risk of running dry. So there's a lot to keep track of here. And if I can just add one other really quick thing, um, I'm sure Google, you know, big tech companies don't want to pay into the Universal Service Fund. But this morning I asked Google's AI Bard what it thinks uh, if Google should contribute. And it said yes, because Google benefits from the fund and has plenty of money. So, um, you know, now both Bard and the Universal Service Fund, uh, their lives are in danger. So that's it. And wait, waiting for the Google PR team to message me and say that, that uh, their, their technology does not speak on behalf of I know. I was debating reaching out to their public policy person to see if they have a response, but yeah. I don't know if I could bring myself to do well, that. They've probably been laid off, so who cares? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's, 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 it's a sad state where we can't just quickly approve funding for uh, rural and low income and, you know, just connecting as many people as we possibly can. I mean, I think, the, and these programs have their origin, like way back in the uh, telephone days, you know, getting, yeah. getting a wired telephone service to every single house, no matter how far away from every other house that you happen to live. There was a kind of an obligation for the government to make sure that its citizens were at least... Uh, somehow connected in that era, and we can't seem to do the same in broadband, even though we have better tech and don't require as many miles of copper <laughs> uh, to be uh, strung across the world. So, uh, yeah, it's that's that's too bad. I, I think that uh, uh, I think we should start a GoFundMe, but I'm not sure what to call it. Let's <laughs> let's just see how this goes for a couple more weeks. Put that in your back pocket, anyway. Yeah. Oh my God. All of this ends with GoFundMe's for the various U.S. government um, I know. Uh, agencies and programs, I know. probably. <laughs> Pretty soon, yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll keep. Thanks for keeping an eye on that. And again, uh, thanks for uh, uh, your work on the uh, uh, on the broadband mapping story because that that one will hopefully uh, uh, catch a lot of people, uh, you know, into asking some very important questions about how broadband decisions are getting made in their uh, neighborhoods. Uh, Kelsey, what's happening uh, in, in your neck of the woods, or what's what's falling out of your notebook this week? <laughs> a lot of pollen. There's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still got that uh, allergy thing. Yeah, going. I sound like a chain smoker. Ooh, yeah, smoking pollen. Anyway, <laughs> um, this week, uh, network as a service startup, uh, Grafiant got sixty-two million in funding. So good job to them. Um, so that brings their funding to about uh, 96 million in total. Um, they uh, 
I guess kind of interesting point is uh, one of their founders, um, Khalid Raza, was previously the CTO and co-founder of Viptela, um, which was the SD-WAN company, one of the earlier ones that was uh, later scooped up by Cisco in 2017 for $610 million. Uh, but with Grafiant, um, they're kind of similar to uh, Akedo or Ariaka in that they're providing SD-WAN over their own uh, private network. Um, and they have some enterprise and service provider customers who have yet to be named. So hopefully, um, you know, later this year, we'll hear more on um, specifically who their customers are. But uh, another interesting point was they shared that um, initially they thought service providers would be competitors to them, but they've actually gotten a lot of service provider interest um, in Grafiant software. Uh and so, uh, you know, have some partnerships there and they're purely um, channel based. So their channel partners are, are selling their software, which runs on um, x86 boxes. And it's a so it's a network as a service, meaning there's certain network services you can get by subscribing to their software and uh, sort of having your all your connectivity run through their private mm -hmm. network right and that i um do they make a big deal of what all those services are uh, because i'm i'm very curious to hear that the telcos are partnering with them because it does seem like a competitive uh thing and and it is interesting that the telcos could be a very good channel for a company like that because they would get that exposure but also they would get the scale which is what these things really need to to be able to take mm -hmm. off um so Andrew Lerner with Garner uh, explained it um, as uh, essentially SD-WAN over a private backbone. Um, but he said, you know, where traditional ones, where the device is at the edge um, and, and uses um, uh, drops traffic out the underlay or puts it in the overlay, um, Grafiant uh, uses a private backbone. So that's um, one of the differentiators uh, for them. And um, I'm sure they'll have more on um, some of their other services. Um, they've, I think, been maybe a little vague, but um, about yeah. all that they're offering. But yeah. hopefully, you know, once we hear more about who the specific service providers are, um, that will shed some light on things. It'll be really interesting to see if, you know, it's the tier ones or um, like Hughes or who's going to be now mm -hmm. uh, using that so they they basically said they're taking the best of mpls and sd-wan in their service so also okay. kind Got of vague, yeah but, you know. <laughs> but without requiring i mean i guess their their knock-on is the the, the the or the real sales point for them might be that they're just not requiring that that kind of commitment that you used to make on an mpls thing where you would right. have to have I mean, yes you got a more secure connection but you had to pay for the singular connection that was just to your building. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was quite pricey. They've been able to do a lot of that in software. And I think that's why SD-WAN took off and also why it seems to be spreading out from an enterprise branch office thing to being a more network wide uh, type of service. Um, okay. Let's move along. And uh, Jeff, uh, uh, you've got a couple stories uh, on, on your plate this week. Um, let's, let's go in reverse order. Let's talk about Roku first. That was a, that was a shock. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, um, like the hits keep coming <laughs> over at uh, Roku. They've had uh, 
quite a few yeah. things they've been navigating. They did, they, you know, they just dealt with the uh, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. You know, they had a bunch of money deposited there. Um, you know, they got through that, but then they disclosed this week that they're laying off another uh, 200 people or about 6% of the workforce. And this came, you know, they laid off like two the same number, 200 or so uh, last November. So 400 altogether in the last few months. And uh, you know, it's all kind of coming together as the ad market is uh, still pretty sluggish for them. Um, and for the, the, TV advertising, video advertising market at large. And they're, they're also looking to pri- prioritize aspects of the business that are going to get the highest returns. Um, but they have been pretty vague about what that means. Like, you know, wh- what are you prioritizing? Or maybe more importantly, what are you deprioritizing? And they're just not spelling that out at the moment. Um, but we do know like which area is getting more attention, and that is uh, their focus on smart TVs, you know, they're, they're moving ahead with a new initiative to design uh, and build their own TVs that use the Roku um, operating system. Uh, yeah, and I think that they, they feel like that, that'll give them some development uh, or an ability to accelerate development uh, for, for their smart TV platform. The question is, you know, what kind of uh uh, difficulty is it going to make for them to also be like a manufacturer <laughs> on top of, of everything else and right. what kind of margins are they going to get? So, uh, so yeah, a little bumpy ride at the moment at uh, Roku. Um, and then on the other aspect, the other thing I was kind of looking at, I, I didn't look this up this week, but apparently like March 29th must be, like fiber manufacturing capacity day in uh, in North Carolina because there was some news from both uh, Comscope and Corning on that day. Um, and I think with B, like projects, so again, I'm wading into Nicole's world. Uh, there's a little bit of intersection. Um, but with projects like Bead on the Horizon, uh, Comscope announced it was going to beef up the uh, fiber optic cable manufacturing uh, capacity at two of its plants in uh, North Carolina, and they also introduced a new uh, fiber called a uh, product called Heliarc, which is uh, tailored for rural build-outs, they're saying, because it's smaller and lighter weight than uh, traditional cables, and it can be installed faster. Um, and then Corning came out with, um, uh, they're opening like a new cable optical cable manufacturing campus, they were calling it, uh, with two facilities there in Hickory, uh, North Carolina. So both projects are supposed to, uh, or both moves are supposed to bring hundreds of new jobs to North Carolina. And, you know, that caused the uh, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper and U.S. Secretary of uh, Commerce uh, Gina uh, Raimondo to make the rounds. I guess they were, they made appearances at both events, so a big day out there, and uh, I think both of it, both of those also tie into the whole Build America, Buy America Act um, uh, for materials that are going to be used for these government subsidized um, uh, buildouts. Uh, so fiber cable falls into that, but I think the bigger issue uh, is going to be the chips and components and products like uh, routers and switches and uh, gateways. So you know that 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 whole piece of it is still kind of being settled on how restrictive they're going to be. 
Yeah, there was a lot of ribbon cutting going on this yeah. week uh, <laughs> in North Carolina, yeah. so that was good. Um, uh, yeah, my understanding is that we have the fiber supply to meet the requirement, but it's all mm -hmm. the the other stuff. And I think it's notable. I mean, it might just be because that's the biggest piece that people can grasp when you're talking about this, but President Biden, whose fault it is that we're, you know, doubling down on the Buy America uh, statute because he chose to bring it up during the State of the Union, which was immediately followed by, you know, scrambling at the NTIA and, you know, whatever, OMB to figure out rules around that and such. And previously, the NTIA had issued a waiver for the middle mile program. So, uh, whatever. But anyway, the point is that President Biden, whenever he brings this up and he brought it up at the State of the Union and then he brought it up at some other event he spoke at like a few weeks later, I think in Philadelphia, um, he's talking about fiber. He's like, when we build out these networks, we're going to be using American made fiber. Like, so he might already be cushioning the blow for the fact that we're not going to be using American made uh, other components. But um, he's both behind this uh, fierce push for Buy America and perhaps is already aware that the other yeah, he kind of gave himself some wriggle room there, you know. It's like, well, you know, we're, we're going to emphasize the issue that we already know is pretty much salted away and handled, and uh, we're not going to, we'll, we'll get into the other details at another time. Yeah. So. Are, are we digging that fiber trench with American-made shovels, yeah. I wonder? Oh, you know, I don't know. Is that a <laughs> no, it's just the question. question? Yeah. <laughs> right. Then a bunch of cats. American hands. Uh, curious about the the Roku situation though, because they were there's something like forty percent of the home, um, whatever you call those things, media something or other box media players market. Yeah. yeah, the media player market. Yeah. I mean, obviously Apple TV is is strong in that space. I wonder if they're just late transitioning from being a predominantly hardware company to being a, a mostly software company with the OS because. Um, and the hardware side, like I said, they've, they've got a significant market share, which, which was sort of built up on, um, I would imagine, you know, not just market penetration, but a, a pretty brisk cycle of upgrades. And now that, you know, we're kind of, we've kind of hit 4k and we've been here a while, people don't have a reason to upgrade their Roku devices at nearly as quick a clip as they maybe once did. Um, so maybe they're, you know, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe they're having a problem there, you well, know, in terms of finding it to be as profitable as it once was to be in that business. Yeah, I feel like the uh, uh, the focus is shifting to the uh, platform, whether it's on a uh, smart TV or a smart player like that's the big uh uh, the big focus, because uh, I think the, the player revenues over Roku is like way down. Um, and partly because you said like people aren't necessarily buying them or uh, upgrading. Actually, I just got a uh, an alert from Roku, my Roku 4, which was like the first model to do or be capable of streaming 4K content is now like... Uh, not going to get any more updates. <laughs> so, so they're like, Hey, uh, why don't you buy a new one at a discount? Yeah. So they're trying to push me in that direction. It's like, well, until like most of the apps I use on it don't work, I don't have a whole lot of uh, reason at this yeah. point to upgrade. Yeah. yeah. And you're lucky with companies like Netflix because they, they pride themselves on running on just about any device, you know, at, no matter when it was made. So they, they, they're, uh, 
their their streaming service is is amazing if only because you can pick up the oldest phone you have and still get a decent net, uh, Netflix experience in that in that device and uh, yeah. so yeah that does kind of fly in the face of the the forced upgrade cycle yeah. that these companies like to do on the hardware side yeah I'll have to like re like uh, start up my old um, uh, Motorola uh, Razor you know and see what see if uh, you can do anything with that anymore but yeah. uh, yeah, sure on like a, a gas generator only right or coal yeah no, I think it's coal fed yeah, right. yeah. 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 <laughs> cold powered cell phone <laughs> very bulky yes. uh, and it only gets the rockford files no other shows it's uh, very, very dated um mike uh before we get uh before we signal exactly how old i am uh you you had something to talk about in terms of uh brick and mortar and wireless when we were talking about the online world expanding yeah 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 so so i want to i want to do an informal poll speaking of that phil is Phil, the last phone that you bought, did you buy it at the store or did it come to you in the mail from online? Uh, I, I picked it up at the store, but I bought it uh, via Apple's website. Right. But you got it at the store. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. did, pay, I, I did pick it up did it, So anyone else, did anyone buy their phone completely online or did you go to the store? I bought it online. Oh, you mm-hmm. really? And it came to you in the yep. mail? Right. Store. I think Store, I did that too. Yeah. Nicole? I think I bought it on like the either Verizon or uh, yeah, Apple. I, I went to the Verizon website. Amend mine. I pretty much could have just had it delivered to my house, but the excuse to go into the store means I also get to to browse around and go, oh, I didn't know this was released and play with the stuff and things <laughs> like that. So yeah, it was, it, was, it was like, it was kind of a technology Cute. play date for me, but I was, I was, I was ostensibly there to pick up a phone. Gross. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, it sounds like you guys are fairly uh, technology forward then, because according to a Cohen survey, uh, only 17% of people use the online channel to buy their phone. And, uh, you know, the vast majority of Americans still go to the store. I usually go to the store because inevitably there's some sort of problem that they can only fix at the store has, has been my experience. So I, I, I still go to the store now, but what they're saying is that, uh, that that's going to change is, um, everybody's predicting that, uh, online sales are going to be a bigger part of the, of the whole thing from here on out pandemic accelerated it. And now it's just going to keep, uh, keep growing. And there's a couple of indications that that is sort of accelerating in that um, we've seen hundreds of uh, job layoffs at Verizon and T-Mobile related to uh, retail sales. Um, so it really does indicate that they're they're cutting down on the workforce that's involved in retail sales and they're sort of shifting online. And then, and then another big um, indication is that uh, T-Mobile bought Mint Mobile uh, in, for more than a billion dollars. And that Mint Mobile, the Ryan Reynolds, uh, uh, MVNO that's only online. It has no retail presence. So it really does sort of indicate a real new sort of emphasis on retail sales. Um, uh, a couple other things is that there's a company called wireless advocates that used to run the retail sales in, in Costco's. And at the end of the last year, they just went out of business randomly <laughs> and they, they shut down all their kiosks inside of Costco's. Uh, so those that that whole thing has been sort of uh, uh, been in a state of upheaval. 
And then another thing is that T-Mobile reportedly closed uh, several of their signature store locations, um, which was their fancy like flagship retail stores. And so, you know, it sort of all points to, uh, you know, this this growing push toward getting sales online. And that certainly dovetails with the introduction of that eSIM technology that makes it so much easier to to switch service or to activate new service. And so I think uh, that that's what came out of my notebook this week is that there's just a lot of like there's just a lot of indications that we're going to see a lot more sales purely online. And those retail stores are not necessarily going to play as big a role in the future. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I think the, uh, the, the T-Mobile at least has made the eSIM part really easy to, uh, to handle. So you, um, even though their stores are pretty convenient, it's, it's also pretty easy to switch to them, uh, without having to go into the store. If you have, uh, if you're, if you have a phone from a different carrier, but you have an eSIM, or eSIM capacity, uh, like an iPhone, you should you should be able to switch pretty easily. Big deal. And then, you know, uh, so T-Mobile has eSIM, you know, 100%. Verizon actually has been really investing in eSIM. So far, AT&T, I asked them just uh, last week about, you know, do you offer eSIM on the AT&T brand? And they said, not yet, but they do offer it on their Cricket brand. So I, I think that's coming too. Interesting. Um all right. Yeah, we'll look for that. Uh, well, next time we buy phones, and uh, maybe the, uh, this isn't a, 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 you know, maybe it's a project, but uh, we'll have to we'll have to keep track of <laughs> how 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 difficult it is to go from uh, uh, one phone to another without having to go into the store. Um, now I'm going to go to the store because now I feel like I want to be part of the well, mission to keep the stores alive. I feel like this is my I think, fault. I think it is. I think they blamed you. Yeah. Right, Mike? Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, yeah, the, the Walmart thing, they said, Nicole, I That's, mean, she's uh, – well, I think it's interesting thing to trim because you're seeing that, Mike, yet when I look at, like, what the, uh, the cable folks are doing that are offering mobile, like Charter and Comcast, uh, being more focused on the retail – side to help drive their mobile product and and Altice USA on the other hand they're they're trying to expand their their retail presence partly to support the uh the the drive to uh market their mobile product a little more aggressively i'm not i'm not sure if there's a particular reason on that other than well maybe they're newer to mobile and maybe you know they they need people to come in and feel a little more comfortable about the idea but um, anyway it just seems like kind of a counterbalance to yeah the, the rest of what the industry's doing yeah and cable's been crushing it i mean mm-hmm. they're like 30% of net ads every quarter and it, you know the the cohen survey uh, it said Cable is about seventeen percent online sales, so the vast majority of cable is is still retail, also. So yeah, I'm curious to see what they do. Also, they they've been uh, moving pretty confidently into mobile, so I would not be surprised that they uh, expand online as well. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our flash poll where we just talk about something that's maybe not really on topic. Um, uh, this time we were talking, we were thinking of. Uh, well, I should ask the assembled panel here, uh, where should we stay during the big 5g event when we go to Austin or more importantly, if our hotel happens to have an East Sixth street address, is that too big of a signal to the bosses that we're more interested in food trucks than we are the stuff that's being talked about at the conference? Ooh, food trucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, I, I, and you're not protected from self-incrimination if you answer the question. <laughs> Gotta go. Uh, I think we're going to end up on 6th Street anyway, so it really would be safer for us to stay somewhere near there. That's true. We'll Less probably be there most Stumbling days, distance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or waddling distance if you eat as much as I yeah. do. <laughs> well, also, you know, I, I imagine they still have those scooters we can get around on, right? And Mike's oh, like no. a pro scooter. Yeah, he was getting around Denver pretty good there last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think Austin does have a half pipe, so I'll probably be there on my scooter, um, half piping, yelling That's hardcore, half piping, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hardcore. hardcore. I can't wait. No. Mike, no, 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 I think that one's clear. That one's no. good. No. Yeah, no, we're fine. Mike Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, heaven forbid. Last year, I was so directly challenged that I took a scooter like every day from the hotel um, to the convention center and was like, I got this. Like, I don't need to check Google Maps first. And definitely just like took a wrong turn from the start and ended up at the interstate and like briefly was like, should I cross the interstate in a scooter? And then I was like, "Uh, I should choose life and not do that. So, yeah, you yeah, want nothing it's... crapping out on you. Yeah. No, That's yeah, that thing struggled up hills. At one point, I had to just like run up a hill with it because it was like, mm, and a car was coming. And I'm like, I'm not going to make the, it. Get the Flintstone power out. Yeah. Yeah. We might need to take You're out lost. extra insurance on me for this trip. Which is mm. uh, n- noted. Yeah. Um, Maybe you I, need uh, to stay inside the convention center. Like, uh, yeah. I'll just bring uh, a sleeping bag yeah, just there. There'll be uh, no. Yeah, movement. Yeah. You need to stay there, yeah. <laughs> or not without being yeah, without supervision. I, anyway, yeah. I don't like going out. And I think in anyways. Austin, once you <laughs> once you cross, what is it? I thirty five. I think once you cross like that part of the city and kind of go outside the city limits in that in that particular sense, I think everything stops working. Like your cell phone, your your will to live, all of it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we'll, 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 we'll figure it out, uh, and we'll, we'll report back, but, uh, but, but just know that that's on our mind right now, but right, uh, uh, right this very second, we are past the 30 minute mark. So we should wrap up this edition of the notebook dump closing out the week ending Friday, March 31st, 2023. As a reminder, you can find this and all of our other past episodes by visiting likereading.com slash L R pod L R P O D. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you.